Makar Guru, Season 12, Episode 11. Hey folks, welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. I was sitting here going through pictures on my computer uh, from where I was last January. I was actually cruising down the Hana Highway on the island of Maui in a white Mustang convertible. And it was wonderful. I look outside my window now and see all this snow and, you know, what everybody's been going through. I want Hawaii again. But in all honesty, I don't want the Hana Highway experience again because you can hardly call it a highway. They do. You know, for a while, it's a highway. And then it gets probably the curviest road I've ever been on in my life. And I was looking at my wife, and and she looked at me, and she said, how much further is this? Because it was just left, right, left, right. Beautiful scenery. We had to dodge a lot of chickens, though. Apparently, chickens run wild in on the north side of Maui. So <clears throat> we were within, I don't know, 15, 18 miles of uh, our destination. Hana, basically, was our destination. And we said, you know... I wonder if there's really anything that special to see in Hana. I don't think so. Do you? No, I don't think so either. Let's go back. So we went back, and we went all the way back, backtracked, and then decided to go to the other side of the island to visit Lahaina. Well, Lahaina was a pretty cool place. Um, we'd, I'd been there in 1986 was the last time I saw it. It hadn't changed much. You know, it's kind of like a Gatlinburg, except on, um, on an island in Hawaii. A lot of t-shirt places and restaurants and stuff. Unfortunately, uh, Lahaina exists in name only right now because it was caught up in those horrendous fires that so many people lost their lives. So Lahaina is no more. I think it will be again. I'm sure there's a lot of push for that. But anyway, I miss Hawaii. So I'm just going to think about that. But I am going to do a radio show today or a podcast about cars and important issues. Uh, Yesterday, we touched on targets. We touched on the primary targets that an individual car buyer needs to focus on. Those were the selling price of the car, the trade actual cash value, the financing terms, and the aftermarket products. You know, basically, if you hit the bullseye on each one of those, you will have gotten a great deal. Not just a good deal, but a great deal. But a lot of people just don't focus on those things because they get drawn in to the, uh, I guess, the language of the lot. Uh, They they get out of their car and they meet a salesperson and they do a little chit-chat. Salesperson says, what are you looking for? They tell him, he said, what kind of monthly payment are you looking for? That's when all the alarm bells need to go off. But a lot of dealerships do that and the majority of customers will will respond by saying, well, we're looking for something around four fifty a month. Well, they've just cooked their goose just then because they're not focused on the four targets, the things that will really make a difference in how much they pay for the car over the, well, short-term and long-term. You know, if you're a cash buyer and you don't focus on the targets, you're going to pay too much. You're not going to get enough for your trade because you didn't ask the right questions. So go back and listen to the podcast from yesterday. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Spotify. It's all over the place. 
You can find it. Just Google it, the Car Guru Podcast. If you are a credit buyer and you are financing the car, you're the most vulnerable because just about every store, not not take that back. Let me retract that statement. Most car dealerships are going to try to get you focused on the monthly payment and not on the selling price of the actual trade value. Now, there are some dealers in the, in the, the market where we exist that, um, let's just say that they advertise products in a very deceiving way, or advertise their prices in a very deceiving way, and they make commitments that are just bogus. Let's just call a spade a spade. They're just not real. But, you know, most people just, they don't listen to my car guru because they don't listen to AM radio. They don't even know what AM radio is. I, you know, I've seen my grandkids, they don't even know what a CD is. You know, if it's not face, if it's not on a phone, it doesn't exist. You know, and they don't know what it's like to talk to a person just talking on the phone. How come I can't see them? You know, because they're used to using FaceTime. So a lot of these people are just young and naive, and, and they don't really understand the, the big picture and the little things that you can do to really make a difference on how much something costs. You know, it's just the financial training that young people get today is totally inadequate. And that's primarily because they just don't have time to teach it. It's not a priority in schools. Many times they are teaching to the test. And and teachers, listen, there's nobody I respect more than teachers. My wife was a teacher for 20 years. My mom was a teacher for about that same amount of time. I mean, I've been surrounded by teachers. I love teachers. Uh, But we ask too much of teachers, and we don't allow them to focus on the things that I think are really important. But what do I know? I do know that from a business education standpoint, they don't get much. And they should get it like probably in the 11th grade before they go, or at least in the 12th grade. And maybe even in the, in the ninth grade as they're transit, or maybe it's eighth grade when they go to, from middle school to high school, when they transition up there, they should start getting to know a little bit about money and how money works and what stock markets are and what interest rates are and, and uh, you know, credit cards and stuff like that. They need to have some kind of a background on that. They see their parents struggle with those things and, you know, spend money using cards. And they just say, well, that was easy. Just buy some, give them a card. What happens next? They never see that bill being paid uh, because the parents probably have it set up on their phone to pay automatically, and they don't even write checks anymore, and nobody reconciles their bank account. But it is important to know how and to know how to set up a bank account. I was wanting to send some money to my grandson, and uh, my wife said, well, the best way to do that is set up a Venmo account. Uh, what's a Venmo account? So she explained to me that, you know, you can transfer money to people, buy stuff, and just if you have a Venmo account and they have a Venmo account, then you can send money back and forth to each other. That's cool. Well, let's set one up for Canon. Well, he doesn't have a bank bank account. Oh, well, we need to set up a bank account. Well, then how's he going to get to the bank? He doesn't have a a car. He's 15. You know, so there's all kinds of obstacles, but, but the young people need to know about this stuff. So when they come out and either, you know, get a good job when they come out of high school, which many people can, I guess, you know, because we pay people more now than we used to, or they go on to college and, and they know this stuff. You know, they're, otherwise they come out, 
and they start getting credit cards and they start stacking up all that debt and they don't pay it off or they go out and buy a car and they can't afford it and they get it repoed or they're late on their payments and it destroys their credit. And, and, you know, seniors in high school need to understand what a beacon score is and what a credit score is. It's a report card for your financial discipline, basically. And so uh, I thought I didn't have to have any more report cards. Yeah, you do. You get report cards the rest of your life. So anyway, these are things that, that frustrate me that, that a lot of people come in to the dealership and they want to buy cars and, um, you know, they don't understand. Why do I have to pay 16% interest? Well, it's because you have a 550 Beacon score and you haven't paid your bills. That's why. I mean, we're normally not that blunt. <clears throat> we're not really supposed to disclose a lot of stuff, but, you know, people don't understand. I don't understand why I can't buy it. Um, it's called responsibility. But a lot of that goes back to education. So anyway, I'll be back in just one minute. My dad didn't create this thing, but he used to use it occasionally. He said, if you think an education is expensive, try ignorance. That's true, isn't it? But a lot of people confuse ignorance, which is just not knowing something. It's not doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. Um, but they, they say, well, you're ignorant. Well, that's, that's an insult. That's really not. It means you just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And that can be embarrassing. You know, somebody goes out and buys a car and says, oh, I got such a great deal. Really? What'd you pay for it? Uh, two fifty a month. You know, I mean, that sounds like a ridiculously low payment. It is today. But they don't know what they paid for the car. You know, another thing that really gets people, though, and that's the topic of this radio show, is the purchase of a vehicle service contract. So you buy this new car. Let's say it's a, a Kia Telluride. I just love saying that. And uh, you, they tell you what the warranty is. I think that has a pretty long warranty. Do Kias still have a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty? I think they do, those in Hyundais. I think a lot of that is just a powertrain warranty. But anyway, they include it. So you go to the finance office and they present you with an opportunity to, to buy a bumper-to-bumper -bumper. instead of just having powertrain coverage after three years or 36,000 miles. You have bumper-to-bumper -bumper coverage. Really? Um, is that included? No. You've got to pay a little extra. How much extra? Well, it's just an extra $35 a month. Really? Just pennies a day. Well, that sounds cheap. Wait a minute. How long am I financing this uh, this vehicle for? Oh, uh, yeah, you're financing it for 96 months. 96 months? Wow. Okay, well, let's see, 96 times 35. That's $3,360 for this warranty. And I probably won't keep the car for 96 months because I normally trade every two or three years. Okay, so the moral to this story for that person is... They don't need an extended warranty because their car's going to be covered for the pretty much the entire time that they own it. They're, all the major expenses are. Why buy an extended warranty? That doesn't make sense. You know, if a dealership is offering a lifetime powertrain warranty and the factory warranty, you know, covers everything up to three years or 36,000 miles or four years, 50, whatever the warranty is for that particular brand, 
do you really need that extended warranty? Now, some people do. Now, if you live paycheck to paycheck, for example, and you know major car expense would just destroy your financial stability, then maybe it makes sense to pay an extra $25 or $30 a month, you know, if you're financing it, or to pay the money up front. You know, a lot of, um, of dealerships and car companies offer a separate financing plan for the extended warranty at 0% interest. I mean, that's what you should do. If you can cash flow that, uh, you can finance the extended warranty for anywhere from 12 months to 24 months and have that paid for at 0% interest. And then you don't have that tacked on to your monthly payment where you're paying a whole lot more interest on it over a longer period of time. See, you wouldn't know that if you hadn't listened to this radio show. You would just go ahead and fall into the trap. Well, maybe you wouldn't. But most people that have not bought cars before or don't have a lot of experience once they say yes to a car purchase and going into the finance office, they hear about all these major expenses, you know, like you know, $800 to replace a turbocharger on a, on a vehicle or, uh, you know, $15,000 to replace an engine. You know, those things are rare to happen. And normally, they only happen if somebody hasn't properly maintained their car. So car maintenance is extremely important. Instead of buying an extended warranty, you might want to buy prepaid maintenance or just become very diligent with your oil changes. You know, I've said this many times, but you know, if you take really good care of a car and you have the maintenance done at the car dealership and you are out of warranty when you have a major failure, the automaker will usually step up and help you out. So you won't have to pay the whole bill. You may just, well, you may pay nothing. And then again, they may charge you a deductible, a small deductible, maybe $100. Or they may pay for the parts and you pay for the labor or vice versa. But if you didn't have it serviced at that dealership, you are out of luck. Because, I don't know, the, the automakers like you too have the work done at their dealership where there are factory trained technicians. They have all the necessary equipment. They do multi-point inspections every time you come in to have your car worked on. And so they feel secure that it probably wasn't your fault and that you just had a weird failure and they're going to step up and make it right. Now, I can tell you this. If you're driving an import car, they're a whole lot less likely to help you than if you're driving a domestic car. When I say domestic, I'm talking about Ford, GM, and Stellantis. It used to be Chrysler. But if you're driving a Hyundai or a Kia or a, a Honda, a Toyota, Subaru, and if you have a failure out of warranty, you're typically out of luck uh, because they're very strict. They think they, uh, they build absolutely perfect products, and if it fails outside of the warranty, it's not their problem. But I have seen the uh, domestic manufacturers, especially Ford. I'm a Ford dealer and GM when I was a Chevrolet dealer and an Oldsmobile dealer. What else was that? That's about it as far as GM. Oh, Buick. was a Buick dealer for a while. Uh, yeah, they would uh, step up to the, to the plate and help you if you maintain the vehicle at the store. So it does make a difference. But if it's out of warranty, the factory warranty, and you purchased a service contract, or an extended warranty, even though it's not really a warranty. Warranties are only offered by the manufacturers or products, but that's what we call them all the time is extended warranties. So let's just call it that. And you bought one, and you take it into the dealership, 
because you have a failure. They'll say it broke down on the road and they brought it in on a rollback, pulled it in. Oh, you feel all warm and fuzzy because you know it's covered. And you go into the dealership and say, um, yeah, I have an extended warranty and the, here it is. And the dealership says, what's that? Um, we don't, I don't know what that warranty is. We never heard of that warranty. Well, I bought it uh, online. Um, I got something in the mail and I bought it. Well, we don't honor that. You're going to have to handle that yourself. That's not what you want to hear, is it? You want them to handle it. And then what they have to do is pull your car into the shop and see what it is. And, and they're, if they do agree to handle it, they're going to call the warranty company and say, yes, we have uh, this vehicle. This is what it needs. It needs a new engine. They're going to ask the dealership to do all kinds of teardowns on it so that an adjuster, yep, just like a collision, an adjuster will come in and look at it and just make double sure that the failure was not caused by lack of maintenance. And so here you are two weeks later. You don't even qualify for a rental car because the dealership doesn't know that you're going to have a covered repair. So you're paying for a rental car, two weeks later trying to get an answer, waiting for an adjuster to come to the dealership. Are you glad you bought that extended service contract? No, you're not. And I wouldn't either. So that's why you got to be careful what you buy. Who's backing it? You know, there are a lot of independent warranty companies that are backed by insurance. And as long as the insurance company is sound and they have a good claims record with the dealership, I wouldn't hesitate to buy a warranty from them. A lot of people won't buy an extended warranty unless it's offered by the manufacturer of the car, like uh, like Ford's extended warranty or General Motors extended warranty or Toyota extended warranty. They want the factory extended warranty. They don't want some warranty that's you know not backed by the manufacturer. But there are a lot, like I said, there are a lot of good warranties that are sold. They're independent insurance companies, like Allstate or like Zurich, you know, these are massive insurance companies that, that also sell service contracts and extended warranties. So, you know, if you have a claim, you want the dealership to be able to make a call. You don't have to wait on some adjuster to come in. And so, you know, they tear the thing down and they say, well, you got a broken rod in this engine and it wasn't your fault. The car's been maintained. you got it maintained here at the dealership. We're just going to get this taken care of for you. They're going to put you in a rental car. You're going to be happy two weeks later, maybe when the parts come in and everything. They've got the new engine in it. You're ready to go. You take delivery of it, and that's even got an extended warranty on it, the engine itself. And you're a happy camper. You pay your $100 deductible and go to the house. And the next time you get ready to buy a new car and you go to the finance office, you'll probably buy another extended warranty because that last one paid off so well. Okay, so my question is, which scenario do you want to be a part of? The first one or the second one? Well, I know the answer, and the only way to be, be a part of the second one is to make sure you read the documentation that you're signing, and you ask the finance manager who's offering you this product, who backs this up, and how can I find out about their claims experience? How are claims handled, and are they handled nationwide? You know, whether it's a a Zurich, that's an insurance company. It's also a the capital of Switzerland. Um, is it backed by Zurich or, or some insurance company, or is it backed by Ford, Chrysler, GM, Stellantis? Yeah, that those are the questions you want to ask. I mean, I, would you go into a 
an insurance agent and buy a million-dollar life insurance policy and, and not ask who's backing it up, you know, what their track record is, what are their ratings like? I mean, I don't think you would, and you shouldn't. Okay, I'll be back in just a minute. Yeah, the only thing common about common sense is that it's not very common. And we, you know, we ask our salespeople to be real careful when they're doing demonstrations on vehicles, when they're, you know, talking about, you know, everything from Bluetooth to, to Blue Cruise, all the different technologies that we have for safety. Be sure that you explain those in a way that the, uh, that the person that you're talking to will understand it because everybody's not an electrician or a computer geek, and we have to be careful with the language that we use and, you know, because we want a total understanding. One of the things I recommend to all car buyers, if you have any questions about your paperwork, number one, go back as soon as you can to the dealership, like the next day, and get your questions answered. Because if you wait too long, it's going to be hard to get something canceled that you agreed to buy, especially if the contract's already been funded with the bank. So you, you know, if you have any f- paperwork questions, go back the next day. If you have any car questions, you know, just call them and say, I'd like to come back for a little refresher course on this vehicle because there's a couple things I really don't understand and I'd rather you just show me. I can't get my phone synced up with the with the infotainment system or you know, I can't. I don't really understand how this, uh, the different settings are for this EV. You know, the different modes and how to change it. Like I needed some lessons the other day on on my Nissan Aria. I could not figure out what the, a couple of the things did, and I didn't understand that the best way to get the most range was not what I thought it was. I thought. I mean, wouldn't you think that if it says Eco mode? Wouldn't that be the mode that you would use to get the longest range? Well, that wasn't it at all. I was supposed to push this other button that says E-step and then go into the uh, sport mode because that's where you get the most regenerative braking and that the motor charges itself whenever you let off the gas. I didn't know that until I asked the salesperson that sells them for me. So, you know, even the guru goes to the salesperson sometimes because they know more than I do about specific features, some specific features, not most. Okay, well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. If I can help you in any way, call me 423-552-2020 or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. And I'll see you next time.